Okay, good morning. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Steve Eckrod. I'm one of the deacons here. I'm also the designated hitter today, the designated preacher. I'm also, and where's Ed? I'm the designated business casual. Okay? No suit, no tie. I just want you to know that business casual is also approved garb here in the church. And I'm the designated representative of that today. My wife helps me with my wardrobe this morning. I didn't quite get the exact right shirt she chose, but it's close. Okay, so you don't have to worry about that. And uh, I noticed, Ed, your fellow companion here uh, sent his brother instead. So the, uh, Tim with the suit isn't here today. He sent his brother, and he's not wearing a suit. But that's okay, I guess. Is that okay? No, okay, I think it's okay. Okay, so... Disciple, can't see that too well. Um, okay, as as most of you know, the church is searching for a new pastor. The the uh, Osgoods having left a couple of weeks ago, and as I prayed and thought about um, the message that that God would uh, bring to us today, um, I thought about this time of transition, and I thought it would be wise to remind ourselves as we're searching for a human pastor to remind ourselves that Jesus is our great pastor. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is our pastor. We and this church is his church. So we need not fear. We need not worry. He is with us and he's caring for his church. But we have a role and he and that role is to be disciples and to and, and he has called us. Uh, to be disciples. And so the message this morning is to consider, if it's your first time, if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ and you're here visiting, uh, to consider the call of discipleship. Or if you have been a disciple for one day, one week, one year, 10 years, many years, 50 years, to reconsider what it means to be a disciple. Our text for today is taken from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's pray. Father, this is your word that you have given to us for our encouragement, for our edification, for our nurture for our correction, for our blessing, God, for our growth in you. Please bless this word this morning. Let the words that come forth from this pulpit this morning be your words and not my words. And let the hearts of your people be open by your Holy Spirit, bringing to them, each of them, your word of life. And it will be for your glory, Jesus, that we pray and say these things. Amen. So this passage of scripture is in the form of a proposition. Um, it's, a, it's an if-then. If X, then Y. But it's personal because it says, if you want this, then you must do this. Um, so, what, so the if part, let's look at the if part first, which is if any man or anyone would come after me, 
So what does that mean? Well, the context of this verse, if you look it up, you'll see that just prior to speaking this, Jesus has, uh, uh, Peter has confessed under the questioning from Jesus saying, who do men say that I am? Jesus, uh, Peter has just confessed that Jesus is the son of God. And then just after this passage, um, we have Jesus speaking about entering the kingdom of heaven. So to be a disciple, to, that is to come after Jesus, means to join those who believe him to be the son of God and to become members of the kingdom that he has come to set up, to be citizens in that kingdom. It means basically to be a disciple, to become a disciple. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be a disciple, then here are the conditions. And so we ask, how do I become a disciple? Well, there has to be an invitation. And for some of you that here today, that this might be your invitation. For many of you, that invitation came probably some years ago. And yet there's a daily invitation. Um, and then there is the response to that, that invitation. The song that we sang during the offering, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus, it's a song that's precious to my heart and maybe to many of yours. It's one of the first songs that I learned when I became a Christian many years ago. The other one was Amazing Grace. Um, and I made that decision then to follow Jesus. Um, for me, it was um, meant that I should pack up my bags and go to Mexico to be a missionary. My father-in-law was serving in Mexico. Now, we had no training whatsoever. We were brand-new Christians. Um, we, but we had the love of Jesus in our hearts, and we were following Jesus and that's what counted, that we were following Jesus. And you can see a picture here. It's not too clear. I, don't, I think it's too light to see. But you can see that, that gentleman there on the, on the right, that uh, happens to be me in a, in a better day with the more svelte figure and, uh, and a lot of zeal uh, and not a whole lot of wisdom. Uh, I remember, <laughs> well, that's a, that's a side story. But one of the things we did was we had a VW bus that we went around to the various pueblos preaching the gospel, and uh, it, uh, one day the engine threw a rod. That is, the, if you know what that means, automotive language, it, the piston rod broke, and the engine died. But I'd been reaching, reading about Brother Andrew, I think, who used to smuggle Bibles into uh, Eastern Europe, and I think that was his name, and uh, he would pray for his little VW. And so I said, let's all get out and pray for this bus. So uh, we got around the bus, and we prayed for it, and... Lo and behold, it got in the engine and started up, and it started up. I said, praise the Lord. So <laughs> we drove about one mile, maybe less than a mile down the road, and the other piston rod went out <laughs> and basically destroyed the whole engine. In fact, it, it blew the engine up at that point. So what I say, a lot of zeal, not a whole lot of um, wisdom. So that was a one-time decision that we made and we follow Jesus, but following Jesus is a daily and an ongoing thing. We continue to make decisions, and I've continued to make decisions, and you have continued to make decisions through your life. Um, and, and so discipleship is something that's ongoing. And Jesus then gave three conditions uh, for that ongoing. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, 
and follow me. So we're going to look at these, those three um, conditions today. So first of all, deny yourself. And I want to say what it's not, first of all. This, denying yourself is not giving up your individuality. God made each one of you, each one of us, special, individual, unique, like snowflakes. Oh, that doesn't work here because there's no snow here. But those of you that may have lived in snow, you know that snowflakes are all different. Well, how about leaves? Leaves on a tree. Every leaf is different. Every one of you is different. Every one of you has unique gifts, backgrounds, privileges, futures, destinies. And God intends it that way. And so denying yourself does not mean to deny your individuality. Let's rejoice in our, in our distinctiveness and also rejoice in our unity in Christ. It also does not mean denying some special privilege or some special uh, treat, um, like having an extra piece of cake uh, or going to a good movie or sitting down and reading a good book or just chilling for a while. It doesn't mean denying those things. It It could lead to that. To deny yourself might lead to God saying to you, okay, do this, don't do that kind of thing. But the deny, there's, there's a more core meaning here. It doesn't mean becoming a, an ascetic, a monk, and going off and living in a monastery. Though, again, for some who have followed Jesus, it might mean that. But really what's at our heart here is the principle of life that we inherit from Adam. It's that principle of life that says, me, like Miss Piggy said, moi. Okay, it's all about me. I'm in control I run my life. Everything that I do is based on what, how it affects me. I make my judgments. I make my decisions. It's all coming back to me. And this can happen even when we're Christians. We can be saved. We can go be a church attending, praying, reading the Bible. And yet, we still have not come to that point where we have surrendered the I. It's still I'm a Christian. Uh, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Uh, In short, we haven't made Jesus Lord of our life. We used to say, not only does Jesus want to be your Savior, he wants to be your Lord, your Master. And so an example from my own life again of this, and let me see if I can do this now. Estuvimos en México hace muchos años. Para predicar el Evangelio de Jesucristo. Y fuimos a un uh, pueblecito que se llama Potrero de los Higos. Y encontré yo un, un hombre, un anciano. Y le pregunté a él, um, ¿Quién es el capitán de su vida? Y él con un, una sonrisa muy grande me contestó, yo, yo soy el capitán de mi vida. Y le dije a él, eso es el problema, porque necesita usted recibir a Cristo Jesús como su capitán, su señor, su salvador. Okay, that's been many years for you gringos in the audience. (laughs) And that was... You've heard about speaking in tongues, have you? Okay, that's what that was. You just had a demonstration of that. 
<laughs> okay? And for those, here's the interpretation now. The Bible says that we should give the interpretation. So I, we were in Mexico many years ago, and there's a picture of us there. Potrero de los Higos means place of the figs. Very pretty place, uh, down in a valley, lots of fig trees and a river and everything. The picture's not too clear. Barbara's there playing her auto harp, and her father-in-law is there. Her father, my father-in-law, is, is there on the path. Our daughter, Megan, is there. So we were down there, and I came upon an old man, un anciano. And so I said to him, who's the captain of your life? And he said, with a big smile, he said, I'm the captain of my life. And so I said, well, that's your problem. That's the problem. You need to make Jesus Christ the captain of your life. And that's, so that's an example. And I had learned that pretty early. At least I had the idea down. Now, whether I had the practice of it down, and that's been some 40 years, so we're still learning, okay? So you see, the whole point here is that in saving us, Jesus translated us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. God did this. Out of the kingdom of Adam into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. He is the king of the kingdom, and we're the subjects. We're the subjects. We, uh, we're, sla- we're slaves also, by the way. We were slaves of sin, and we're the bad news is, but the good news is, we're still slaves, but we're now slaves of righteousness. And righteousness is a person. Righteousness is Jesus. So we're his slaves, and we need to obey him and do what he says, as slaves would do. Now, that's not really easy sometimes. And so that brings us to the second piece of the, uh, of the commands, and that's the daily cross. And Jesus said, take up your cross daily. Well, first of all, let's stop and think about what is a cross. A cross is an instrument of execution, of death. Um, think gas chamber or electric chair. I know that's kind of gross, but it's true. And that's what it was in the Roman Empire. In fact, it was very uh, uh, dishonorable form of execution. So the cross... When Jesus says, take up your cross, he's talking about this is, this is signifying death. And we have here in this scripture how Paul, so we, we're going to look at a couple things about how, look, how Paul looked at the daily cross. The first one is, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he says also in 1 Corinthians, he says, I die daily. So for Paul and for us, the cross is both a past and it's an ongoing present. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. He, he identified with Jesus' crucifixion in his own life. He saw himself crucified with Christ by faith. But then he also applied that principle daily in his life. It was a daily cross. He also said that he boasted in the cross. This is quite a claim. He said, for me, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me 
and I to the world. Now, it's not that Paul had no personality, no um, interest, no particular expression. It's just that his personality, his interests, his, um, his desires were all shaped by his king and the, and the commands of his king. It was a life that was directed by Christ. Uh, and it was through the Holy Spirit, under the direction of God's word, rather than out of Paul's own interest. And he, one could even apply this, in a sense, remember the case where Paul, serving Christ now, desired to go into a particular part of the world, and, and the Holy Spirit said, no, don't go there, go over here to Europe. And that was actually the Holy Spirit opening up the church for the first time in, in the continent of Europe from Asia Minor. So we can even, thinking that we're serving God, if we're coming out of our own mind what we think is right, we can miss the point. So again, this is the taking up the cross. He very much wanted to go there. The Holy Spirit said, no, go over here. And he did that. So he said that he glorified, gloried in the cross. So let's look for a moment how he gloried in the cross and what what it means to glory in the cross. And first of all, and there's, there's, there's three P's here to help you memorize it. So first of all, there's the penalty of the cross. The penalty of sin has been removed. We no longer under the sentence of death because the, our sin, the penalty of our sin, which is death, that's been paid for by Jesus' death. So the penalty of sin is removed. Then the power of sin is removed. Not only did Jesus die on the cross, but our old nature, our old man, if you will, but the Bible uses the word old man, the, the old person, the person in Adam who we were, that person died with Christ, Romans chapter 6. You can read about it there. So the past of it is that the old man is dead, and then the present of this is that the Holy Spirit is working in us to overcome the flesh, and we'll come back to that in a minute. Then there's the principle of a new life, the third P. It's a life that is a life of personal sacrifice because of the joy that we have in serving our king. Three Ps. The penalty of sin has been removed. The power of sin has been removed. And we've been given a new principle of life. Now, there are two aspects of the cross that I'd like to go into a little bit further here. Um, There's a purifying aspect. And there's a sacrificing aspect. So first of all, the purifying aspect. And I've just picked some. There are a number of verses in the New Testament. I've picked a few here, and I hope that you can see them. Let's read through them. First of all, Paul says in Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Then in Colossians 3, verse 5, he says, He commands us, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Then uh, back to in Galatians, uh, he says, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. 
You see, there is an ongoing struggle, even though the penalty of sin has been taken care of and, the, and we know that sin has no power because the old man is dead, yet we still live in bodies of flesh. We have habits. We have memories of how we used to behave. We have the world about us with all of its enticements and its suggestiveness of sin. We have bodies that can still sin, and we do still sin sometimes. And because of that, there is a battle that goes on. And it's a battle between God's Holy Spirit within us and our flesh. And this is a battle and it's a struggle. And we need to be ever diligent to walk in a way that we do not lose that struggle. Yet, we do sometimes and we know and we have the confidence that when we do fall and stumble and sin, we have the promise that if we confess our sins... God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John chapter 1. But to take up the cross in this purifying sense is to put to death the inordinate desires of the flesh. And each, we know, each one of us knows where our weak spots are. And unfortunately, the devil also knows too. And in, in moments of greatest stress or when, uh, when we're called upon sometimes to serve God in a particular way, that is just the time that the devil may come in and come in and hit you in one of your weak spots. So be on the guard for that. But it can come at any point. Remember, though, that God has given us the Holy Spirit, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, as it, so as it says in Romans 8, by the power of his Spirit, we may put to death, we may reject the desires, inordinate desires of the flesh. Then there is the sacrificing aspect of the cross. And this is the one I think that, you know, the one we just talked about, especially to the folks of the persuasion that most of you in this church are, the sanctifying or purifying is probably more familiar. The sacrificing may be less familiar. And it's the one I think that at least have put on my heart. Um, and I think the one that we're facing maybe more in these days. So I picked a couple of scriptures that, that, that shows this. First of all, both from John. John says that greater love has no one than this, that, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then in, in his first epistle, he says this, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Though sometimes to take up our cross is to give up rights and privileges that we normally would expect. It's not giving up sin. It's not denying flesh. It's giving up genuine rights and privileges. Um, I was sharing this, that I was giving this message um, with a dear friend, uh, um, a brother whom we've known, I've known since I became a Christian practically, who's in ministry in Sacramento and and Teen Challenge. His name is Russ. And and I was sharing about about this message. And he, he gave me this insight, and I want to pass it on to you. He said, very simply, Jesus' cross was for us. Our cross is for others. Jesus' cross is, was for us. Our cross is for others. 
So the cross that we're asked to bear is, is for others, and it, it, come, it can come in a number of different ways. And this listing a few, it might be serving others. Uh, obviously, that's a simple one to think of. Here's one that I recently experienced. It might be changing a behavior that's otherwise legitimate for the sake of another that that is either offended or hurt or bothered by that behavior, even though there's nothing wrong with the behavior. And I'm going to pick on my, well, not pick on my wife, I'm going to say something I did with, with my wife, Barbara, here. She's going to be, I don't think she'll be mad at this. So you know we're, we're uh, we have water shortage here in California, so there are water rationing rules all over the Bay Area. Out in El Granada, where we live, there is a, there's a rule, and the rule is you can water your lawn twice a week for 15 minutes, okay? Now, um, and so I've been doing it for 10 minutes. And um, the front yard started to get kind of scrungy looking. So I upped it to 15 minutes, and it's within, that's the rule. So, But the result of that is our lawn is looking pretty nice. And nobody else in the neighborhood has nice lawn. They're all scrungy looking. There are people, the neighbor right next to us just let their lawn die. And it's in the front, in the back, though. It's nice and green. But anyway, uh, so, so Barbara says to me, you know, I'm really embarrassed. And this is serious. I mean, I'm not I'm making fun of this. She was, she's, cause everybody, we're all part of a community. We're trying to save water, right? This is an important thing. And so basically she was asking me to go the extra mile here and cut back on watering again. But I'm saying, hey, I'm following the rules. I'm not going beyond it. But, and she mentioned this to me several times, and I realized finally, hey, you know, it's not the rules that are important. It's not what my rights are. It's what my wife is concerned about, what, what her perspective is and what her concern is. And so I changed it back to 10 minutes. So if you come to see me and my lawn looks scrungy, oh, now she's, oh, did you see that? Did you see what she just said? She just did this. So, whoa, now I'm being asked to go back to five. Okay, well, ch- check with me, all right, in a couple of weeks. See if I'm really that, if I'm really carrying my cross. Okay, but anyway, it's that kind of thing. So going the extra mile. When there's no reason to do so is, is another cross-bearing. It may even be enduring unfair or unjust treatment, hurtful, painful treatment at the hand of another, uh, whether it's another brother or sister or whether it's somebody in the world, a boss, a parent, a, uh, a spouse, a child, unjust or unfair treatment, uh, and you in, choose to endure that for the sake that that person may recover themselves and come back uh, to the Lord or come to the Lord. And that brings us then to the third. Um, That brings us then to the third condition. Remember, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. So that, this last one, following Jesus, means to... um, to take Jesus as our example. And so I would like to let next for the, the, the next few minutes to look at some things about Jesus' cross. How, how did he experience 
and perceive and what, what was the cross meant to him. And the first one, most of these are taken from the book of Hebrews. The first one is that Jesus' cross was not sacrifice and offering, but it was a body. Now, sacrifice and offering signify works. They signify worship. It was the old, the old covenant uh, form, sacrifice and offering. And he says, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written me, written of me in the scroll of the book. So it is not our works that God primarily wants. It's us. He wants us. Our whole soul, our whole life, our all. In the words of John Newton's classic hymn on the cross. Our whole world, our whole soul, our whole life, our all. Now, in the, 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 the writer of the book of Hebrews was quoting from the Psalms, and this is, this is part of the Psalm that he was quoting from. He says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. This is a picture in the, in the, in the, in the Old Covenant, uh, in the Old Testament times, of uh, the ear of the slave would be bored out or, or put put a hole in to signify ownership and maybe a ring would go in there I don't know so and the in fact the King James uses the word in mine ears you have dug but the the symbol also means an opening of the ear and so modern translations of the Bible say you have given me an open ear but both of those images of either the hole in the ear or the open ear these refer to the ability of the slave to hear the master. Remember where I said that we were slaves of Jesus, of righteousness. So Jesus himself is saying, said to the Father, you have given me an open ear. He was willing. He was obedient. Remember, too, for us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Thirdly, um, in uh, Luke we read Jesus' words in the Garden of Gethsemane, very familiar words. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And then in Philippians, Paul tells us that Jesus being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So these verses speak of the willingness or the obedience that Jesus had. Um, I'm sure you've probably heard the old joke about the pig and the chicken who were taking a walk on a nice, fine uh, Sunday morning um, alongside of the barnyard, and they decided, let's have breakfast. Okay? So the chicken said, I know. Let's have breakfast of ham and eggs. I'll bring the eggs, and you bring the ham. Of course, the pig said... Well, that's great. That's an offering for you. But for me, that's a sacrifice. So you can see there's a difference here uh, going on. Okay, thirdly, Jesus' cross was a joy to him. In Hebrews, the writer says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand 
of the throne of God. Jesus welcomed the cross. And this is something that's probably hard for us and we don't, we don't really fully understand perhaps all that is involved in that. But I think part of it is this. We were separated from God by our sin. But God loves us, loved us and loves us and wants us to be with him. Yet his holiness, his purity prevents that from taking place because of the stain of our sin. And so in going to the cross, Jesus removed that stain of sin and made it possible for us to come into the presence of God eternally and to be with God who loves us and and for us to be with him. And so looking forward to that, Jesus had great joy and was very, he had great joy in in knowing that that would be the result of of his cross. Then fourthly, it was by the grace of God. Again, in Hebrews we read, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering, suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. We cannot underestimate the importance of grace. If it was by the grace of God that Jesus endured the cross, how much more will it be true for us that we carry and endure our cross by God's grace? And without God's grace, we may not and will not be able to do that. The Bible makes it very plain that the life that we live here on earth is only by the grace of God. First In 2 Thessalonians we read, We always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul also says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You see, our obedience is only possible, only possible through the grace of God. In fact, our obedience is God's grace. When we obey God, it is his grace working in us. This is so freeing to realize it's not in our strength. It's God that is doing it in us, and we can rejoice in that. It's made possible by the grace of God. God's grace fulfills our resolves to do good, says in Thessalonians. God's grace working in us produces works of faith, and it's not we who work, but God who works in us by his grace. So how does this work in our lives? Well, sometimes, and especially in these times, I think for some of us, we are called upon to give of ourselves sacrificially. It's difficult, and it's easy to become discouraged and disheartened. The extra time that we have to put in, the extra energy. There are a number of people in Bethel today that are going the extra mile, putting in extra time, extra time in meetings, extra time in service, doing things that they didn't used to have to do. 
Um, these are all sacrificial things. And then there is a wearying. There is a, a, a burdening that can come with that, a discouragement. And so he, the message here about grace is that here at this point, at that point of that sacrificial, that when it begins to be wearying and, and, and tearing you down, it's important to remember this word of grace. You must look to God's grace. So you must say that if by his grace he has put in your heart to give sacrificially and generously, then the power of God, the power of God will come to fulfill that work in you. But check also to make sure that you're not going off on your own strength, that this is your own idea to serve God. But if in your heart this has been your decision, then learn the lesson of grace. We're all sinners saved by grace. There's nothing good in us. There's only God's grace. And the wonderful thing about grace is that it's more than sufficient to fulfill every need. And the last piece of this, I would like to look at how Jesus, two, two, two perspectives on Jesus' cross. And it's important to remember at this point that Jesus, besides being fully God, he was also fully man. He had the same, he had, the, he had a body of a, of a human being, okay? He, had, he was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he had the scripture, the Bible, all right? He had the same, we have the same things. He had what we had. So first of all, in going to the cross, Jesus was looking at the scripture. He said to Peter, put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send to me 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scripture be fulfilled? And he was obviously thinking of passages such as Isaiah chapter 53 and other places in the Psalms where spoke of him going to the cross. So Jesus chose to do what the scripture said. And then he trusted in the truth and the power of God's word. He relied on the scripture to give him strength. But now here's the important part. Jesus did not take upon himself more than his father asked him to take. You say, what? He didn't. And here is the proof of that. He looked to his father to take on the consequences. He says that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So Jesus' choice at Calvary is not a message that injustice doesn't matter. Injustice does matter. And we have injustices in the world today. And we as Christians are called to address and think about those injustices. But remember the lesson in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said, do not take up the sword. Jesus was looking at an injust, a greater injustice. The people that were put him to death were wicked, evil, disgusting, bad people. And you and I may have met people like that, and we may have even suffered at their hands. And Jesus' rights were completely taken away by those people, and yet he welcomed that injustice. He accepted that injustice because he was looking 
at a deeper injustice that he wanted to undo. And that deeper injustice was the lostness of those very people that were persecuting and crucifying him. Because if he did not give in to that temporary injustice of the crucifixion, then those people who were crucifying him would suffer an eternal injustice of being lost forever. And so he perceived through. And he, he then, in doing that, he let his father take care of the ultimate consequences. The injustice of his cross was not his concern. It was his father's. And he knew that his father would take that up. So in summary, we're called to be disciples. We started on this journey. The song we sang said, we'll not turn back. The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And it's a daily walk, and God has given us the tools, and he's given us his word, and he's given us the Holy Spirit. And he's given us guidance, and he's given us the example of Jesus. So let us take to heart both the commands and the uh, ready grace of God to become and continue to be disciples. And if you're not a disciple today, and you're here, and you recognize that you're not, you are far from God, and that you... Uh, don't have a relationship with God and your soul and your heart is hungering for that and you want to follow Jesus, then you'll have that opportunity today and this is your invitation. Shortly after we sing the last song, there are going to be prayer counselors down here and if that's your situation, come down and make yourself known to uh, these men and women who will be here who will be glad to pray with you and help you begin that walk with Jesus. And if you've been following Jesus all along, then let this message today and these words be an encouragement and a strengthening to you as you continue to follow Jesus. We will do that when we deny ourselves, take up our daily cross, and follow him. His example under the leading of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of his word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Again, we acknowledge that it is your word and it is your spirit. We praise you especially, God, for the the reminders of your grace and the encouragement we have and the strength that we have in your Holy Spirit. I pray now for your people and each of us that we would go forward strengthened and encouraged in this word. And it will be for your glory and for your kingdom, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.